Welcome to the Relationship Diversity Podcast, where we celebrate, question, and explore all aspects of relationship structure diversity, from soloamory to monogamy to polyamory and everything in between, because every relationship is as unique as you are. We'll bust through societal programming to break open and dissect everything we thought we knew about relationships, to ask the challenging but transformational questions, who am I and what do I really want in my relationships? I'm your guide, Carrie Jaroslow, best-selling author, speaker, intuitive, and coach. Join me as we reimagine all that our most intimate relationships can become. Today's episode is part of our conversation series. I'm just one voice in this relationship diversity movement, and it's important to bring more unique perspectives into the conversation. Today, I'll be talking with Daniela Stevens, an intimacy coach about relationships as an art form, relationship anarchy, and how to get off the relationship escalator. But first, a little about her. Daniela Stevens uses she-they pronouns and is a certified sex and intimacy coach for couples and individuals of all bodies and all expressions. Her work in the world is to support people to experience deep sexual connection and intimacy with themselves and their partner by addressing the intersections of personal experience with multiple systems of oppression. For over 20 years, she's worked with thousands of people, coaching one-on-one, teaching in college classrooms, and guiding them in yoga studios, utilizing somatic attachment theory, embodied conflict resolution, somatic abolitionism, alongside neuroscience, holistic healing, trauma resolution, and modern coaching blended with ancient tantric and Taoist wisdom. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Relationship Diversity Podcast. I've got another great guest for you today. Today, I'm talking with Daniela Stevens, who is a sex and intimacy coach. And we're going to go into this idea of relationship escalator. If you've never heard of this, stay tuned because These are the kind of ideas that many of us, many people take on as just the way it is, these default ways of being in relationship. So the importance of understanding, getting information is to be able to make a choice, to be be able to say, is this how I want this relationship to go now that I know it could possibly go another way? So with that, I'm going to welcome you, Daniela, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'd love for everyone to learn a little bit about you and about your work and maybe a little bit about your personal life that brought this desire to be a sex and intimacy coach. Yeah. So I'm a sex and intimacy coach for couples and individuals. And I really love to support people to experience deep sexual connection and intimacy with themselves and with a partner or partners. We talk about how, or we'll hear about how we can't really tell someone what we want if we don't know what we want for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it starts with knowing ourselves better. 
asking questions of ourselves, of our needs, of our wants, of our desires. And that is something we are definitely not taught to do as we grow up. And for me, that was the that was the case. I defaulted in a lot of ways and choices. And remember being at a party and the women around me talking about orgasms and and self-pleasuring. And I realized I'd never experienced an orgasm. I was in my early 20s and thought, oh, wow, this is something everybody's talking about. And I don't have this experience. Is something wrong with me? Am I broken? And that took me on a (laughs) multi-decades search Mm. and quest for orgasm and also had me questioning so many other things because I wasn't feeling like I was experiencing this quintessential human experience of pleasure as kind of wrapped up into in the experience of orgasm. I was wondering, it, it was having effects on my relationship and wondering, is this because of my relationship? My partner started taking on some of the stress of it, which was not any of theirs to take. But it opened us up to more questions about how our lives could be. And so I've become who I had looked for for probably 25 years. I'm a a former college teacher. And that began some of this research and data information collecting mixed with the spiritual, energetic wisdom traditions that have also informed how I've gotten here to be a, a multi-orgasmic person, um, exploring all types of relationship dynamics, but choosing them from a place of what works for me and what works for the person that I'm in relationship with. That's really powerful. And I, you're speaking my language in terms of connecting the science with the spiritual How does that show up in your work? You talked about different traditions that you bring in. How do you join the two elements together? Well, there's so much that we don't know about sexuality, about desire, especially. And the research has only started within the last 30 years. It's very new. And we we do want a formula. We do want away. And sex and intimacy is much more of an art form. It's much more energetic. It's much more nuanced. And so it's so helpful when we have some things to lean into. This is why we choose monogamous. It's not even choose. This is why we default into monogamous structures, because there's some rules. There's some agreements. There's some things that are commonly understood, not that we clarify them and and speak into them. And when we step out of non-traditional, when we step into non-traditional relationships, it's an art form. It's a, what do I feel like? What feels true to me? How do I know? And so you begin to work with the, the energetics of, you know, what is my gut telling me? What is my heart telling me? What is my mind telling me? And how do I know? That's not science. That's that's something else. Yeah. And I I had this aha moment when you talked about relationships, non-traditional relationships as an art form, because I, I am born a creative person. 
and I've been in theater and that's comfortable for me. So I am comfortable in creating stories and creating experiences, circumstances that are outside of the norm. Although in my relationship journey, I've had to question every step of the way. Is that really what I want? Is that just what I was shown? But I love this idea of non-traditional relationships as an art form because it brings to me a level, a, a feeling of fun and creativity to designing this kind of relationship that feels really good to me. And this takes me back to something that you were saying about pleasure. I think that there's this default belief that pleasure is bad and that either I have to work. I mean, it's not everywhere, but I have experienced, you know, whether it's sex is bad or that I'm not worthy of like feeling pleasure all the time. I had to really work through those feelings of judgment and shame about my own sense of pleasure and desire for pleasure. And I wonder if that leads into also the design of relationship pleasure and relationship fulfillment. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's funny you mentioned that as a as a bi-queer person, there's a lot of myths around bisexuality. It's like, oh, are you being selfish that you want both? Do you have to have both at the same time? You have to have one type of partner here and one type of partner there. There's this myth of having it all around bisexuality. And at looking at that myth, it's like, well, what would be so bad about that? What would be so wrong? Are you chastising me for wanting pleasure, different types of pleasure with different types of partners, regardless of their gender? So I think you're right that there's a certain pain or lack of pleasure that we presume we have to take on in long-term committed monogamous relationships. And there's a little bit of who do you think you are, not just within us, but from other people around choosing more pleasure or choosing more love. I've definitely been in that space. Well, I was going to say that I hear the same thing in terms of polyamory is you want your cake and eat it too. I mean, that's just so, it it shames someone for wanting more pleasure in their life and wanting to enjoy life. And I believe that we are here to find our pleasure because with that pleasure heightens our energy, brings more joy into the world. If I am allowing myself to seek and to experience more pleasure, I am going to be more loving to the people around me because I feel really fulfilled. So in my mind, that idea of claiming our pleasure will bring more joy into the world overall. Yeah, more joy, more love. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about it even more from a community care space. Why are we so isolated with one partner, one home? one focus, one priority. When we have, if, if we engage in polyamory, if we engage in open relationships, any, any alternative non-monogamous relationship, we're offering more care, just at the most basic level, more connection, more love, more pleasure, all of these things that are positive, all of these things that 
we all want to say yes to experiencing more in our lives, offering more into other people's lives. And so it is about questioning, why has this been something we aren't invited to do, aren't welcomed to do? Well, how would you answer that question? Oh, systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. I mean, white white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, heteronormativity, transmissia. All of these are tools to keep us within capitalism, to keep us focused on producing, excavating our labor, depleting us so that we we don't have the capacity to look around our world and be like, I think there's a little bit more care, mm-hmm. a little bit more love, a little bit more pleasure possible. Than yeah. This. And so those are huge systems. And sometimes I get into this place of, well, how can I make a difference in something that is so huge that it feels overwhelming? So if someone was thinking that, how would you encourage someone to start to shift those systems in their own, I would say, little life? I mean, you know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, that is where we shift them. That's the work that we can do is in the the communities and circles and relationships and families that we are in. The moment we ask ourselves questions about our lives and begin to dare to wonder, is there more? Mm. I call it the call to more. Mm. So whether that's more connection or more depth or more sex or more love or more care or more support. It's very, you know, frozen too. It's like if you hear the call and you reject it and it comes back, that call is asking you to ask questions. And so what is it that we want to feel? What is it that we want to experience? And what's standing in the way of us experiencing it, feeling it? Yeah, it's cha- challenging questions. And and really, though, I've faced all those questions. And I even feel almost a visceral response in my body. I can feel what I felt when I started to question, right? It's like my stomach gets a little bit uneasy. And I luckily feel like I've had enough support in my life to ask those questions, even if it's just space where no one bothers me for you know, five (laughs) hours that I can kind of sit in it and ask. And this is what I love about people like you, coaches who can create that really safe space for someone to ask the questions and allow whatever answers come up without feeling any shame. And I think that's why it's so important to find a coach who is, if you're going to go in that way or a friend or a family member, whoever it is, who will really listen without judgment, without shaming, because that shame and judgment will be an instant stopper to, to looking deeper into this. Because I found it's it's a lifelong adventure to question and be curious. Absolutely. And yeah. it makes me it makes me think of how some of my favorite people to work with or over the past have been people who have come to me, couples who have come to me and individuals with questions around monogamy and they explore various systems and structures of non-monogamy 
and are able to come through with more skills to relate to one another and themselves, and then ultimately choose like monogamy or monogamish structures mm-hmm. from a, a, sp- a space of consciousness of absolute choice. Yeah. And what's become even clearer to me is the distinction between people who who really experience, and I think you talk about this really well, is people who who have consensual non-monogamy lifestyles <laughs> and people who choose it, who choose various style uh, dynamics because of the partner that they're with. Mm-hmm. That it's something that we don't have to say we are this or we aren't. And sometimes we do. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes there's the relationship dynamic between two people that really clarifies what they need and want within that relationship and outside of it or and including other relationships. I hear a lot this discussion about is polyamory, non-monogamy, is it an identity or is it just what I'm choosing, a choice? And I find it a very interesting discussion because I think it really just depends on the person. I know people who definitely identify as polyamorous, like that explains a lot about my life. I've heard people say that explains a lot about how I've been my entire life. But then, you know, like me or other people, it seems to be a timing and circumstantial choice that is really working in the moment for whatever reason, all different kinds of reasons. Do you have any thoughts on that discussion? There's so many elements that bring this back to the art form, Mm. right, of relationship dynamics. It's about so many different things. It's about our age. It's about children or not children. It's about financial security or not. It's about love or sex or pleasure. I mean, Relationships are and our our partners who we engage with romantically, sexually, in uh, homestead wise, are our greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. So whether we're looking for that teacher in a in that sort of form, or if we're in school and we're like I don't have any time for any partners of any depth or de- a degree, these are all going to inform the choices that we make. Right. And the painting that just to bring the art symbolism back is, you know, the painting that I would paint at 25 is very different than the painting that I would paint at 53 because of everything I've learned and the path that I've traveled and the experiences that I've had and the healing that I've done. All of that gives me more skills and more attention and more. Um, information to create my perfect relationship. And that and and really what is underneath all of that is that I've gotten to know myself more, right? Because that's, I think, I feel where it starts is to know who I am, to know what I want. And I, to be honest, cringed a little bit when you said my perfect relationship. Because for me, perfection feels very finite and very Mm. like, if you talk to artists or writers, I'm a writer, the writing, the art, the painting, it's never done. Right. You can, it can always be finessed, touched up. You see something else you want to do. And we have to, we have to find a moment to stop, to pause, to call it. And in this way, 
I want to make sure I never put my relationships into a box and say, this is perfect. It's never going to change. This is what it needs to be. For me, the perfection is in the the space to allow it to unfold, to move through seasons, to assess what do we need now? What's working well? What what could we change or shift? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, that is my definition of perfection. I, Perfect. I am not at all in like, perfection is, you know, a house with the white picket fence and the, that, that, and I don't even think like for me, perfection is in a lot of the messiness. It's, it's in living and feeling emotions and not even always great emotions, just always growing and evolving. To me, that is like perfection of what I want in my relationships, which is always to grow, always to evolve, to feel pleasure, to feel loved and secure and all of that, but also to make sure that I am always evolving and that I have the space to grow and evolve. So, and it's, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, because it's almost like my my definition of success, relationship success. It's not right. this like cookie cutter or Disney type relationship. It's really, I, I could be in a relationship for one week and it could be a success because, oh my God, I learned something that I have been wanting to learn for 20 years. I learned it in one week. That to me is relationship success. So I appreciate you bringing that up to define those terms, because again, those terms can be very default, right? Default of what perfection looks like, which I think is very much a tricky place for people, especially when they are not in a relationship that brings them happiness. They think they're looking for this perfect thing. And it's this idea of maybe something that is what they've seen on TV or movies or heard talked about, but have never really experienced or watched relationships. Relationships are not perfect. They are meant to be uncomfortable. Right. I love Resma Menachem's book, Monsters in Love. Mm -hmm. He's better known for somatic abolitionism with my grandmother's hands. And he clarifies, this isn't meant to be comfortable. This isn't meant to be perfect. This is meant to bring out the best in you. Yeah. To push push us to grow and to become better versions of ourselves. And if that's not what you're looking for in a relationship, any kind of relationship, you're going to be surprised. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I I love that and I think that's a really nice segue into this idea of relationship escalator. Because, well, first, I'd love for you to explain the concept of relationship escalator so that we can bring everyone who's listening into the same place to understand what what we mean by it. Well, I was first introduced to the concept of a relationship escalator by Amy Garin. She's written a book about relationship escalators. And the imagery is really powerful. You know, we step onto an escalator and it's multiple steps right? Let's say 20 steps. It's taking us to the top. Once we step on, there's not really a stepping off. Mm. If you've ever seen or imagined or tried yourself to turn around and go down, 
Yeah. Or even the sense of jumping over the side of an escalator. The walls are high. It's not not really a a great amount of choices to jump off of a relationship escalator or off of an off of an escalator. So this idea of a relationship escalator is we all we all know the steps from attraction and dating to moving in together or getting married, having children, buying a house, retirement, death, right? Those are kind of the the steps from step one on the relationship all the way to the the final destination Mm -hmm. at the top. And the idea of getting off the relationship escalator is about more choice. Mm -hmm. We don't have to follow this default path that we can take space in between each step. We can get off at any particular point. I really like the idea of taking this escalating linear line and flattening it, mm-hmm. pulling it onto a onto the to the ground, almost imagining it as a sidewalk where you still have these segments. You still have chemistry and dating and You still have the possibility of moving in together, of exchanging vows, of having children, of buying a house, of retiring together, of dying together, right? And you can step off the sidewalk onto the grass, Mm. onto a path, cross the street, and you can stay in any of these sidewalk squares for as long as you want. You don't have to move to the next one. There aren't unspoken expectations around how this has to look. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So can you give an example with maybe a real life scenario of what stepping off of the relationship escalator and creating your own version of what it could look like? Yes. I'm thinking about a couple I know, not a couple I've worked with, but a couple I I know later in life, one of um, their spouses had passed away. The other was most has, was mostly single. They one of them has adult children, and it's like they dated for a very long time. They moved in together, and then one of them moved out. They still occasionally see one another. I don't. I wonder if they would say they're still dating. I wonder if they would say we're friends with benefits or we're in a situationship, even though their relationship has gone through other seasons or chapters of what we would call a a committed long-term relationship. So instead of these boxes of dating, situationship, friends with benefits, relationship, marriage, that they're choosing actively what works for them. And it doesn't have to be this escalating linear progression. We live together, therefore we will always live together. It's like, Mm. oh, for whatever reason, one of they're no longer living together. Does that mean that they're a failure, that their relationship didn't work, that they don't still have a, a relationship? However they choose it, whether it's romantic but not sexual or sexual and less romantic, they get to decide. The consent lies with the two of them and not the expectations that society has put on them to move all the way, all of the way up the escalator. That's a great example. And I can only imagine starting a relationship with or just meeting someone and starting with 
understanding what a relationship escalator is and having the conversation from the very beginning. I still think people who are in relationship, you know, whether they're somewhere on the relationship escalator can, with the awareness and the consciousness, step off, make different choices. But I just kind of had this moment where I went in my head and started thinking about, wow, what, what would that would be like to meet someone and say, I want to be conscious and choose what is going to be right for us every step of the way. And let's open the communication lines between us from the very beginning, knowing that there may be times when we have hard conversations, but that we'll always tune in with ourselves and what we want and what we need and what's working for us and what's not working for us. And that we can kind of have that communication line open and in our awareness throughout however long this may last, that that could create a really cool relationship experience. I don't know that I have necessarily had that experience, but it sounds pretty cool. I'm, I am in the personal, I'm personally in the experience of practicing relationship anarchy for the first time. Mm, can you explain that for people who don't know what that is? Yes. Although I'm going to explain my version of this. I Perfect. know <laughs> I know a handful of people who, who practice relationship anarchy, and I think all of us practice it very differently. Relationship anarchy is the sense that none of our relationships or friendships, none of our connections, I call them connections in our lives, have an inherent value over the others. So it's mm. not hierarchical. Some people practice hierarchical polyamory, right? A, a primary relationship that gets the greater amount of time, of resources, what have you, for various reasons. And in the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, we've been talking more about non-hierarchical polyamory. And that's very similar or could be similar to relationship anarchy. Relation, my, my practice and exploration of relationship anarchy has been so fascinating because I have a connection with someone who also practices relationship anarchy, who has multiple partners, and each moment, the expression of that connection could fall into any of these kind of relationship escalator expressions. So sometimes, some days that expression is friendship, is emotional connection, is support, is how are you doing? Do you need dinner? This like friendship care space, right? Sometimes that expression is sexual, like there's pleasure in my body. Is there pleasure in your body? Are you interested in sex? That sex could be, hey, I have three hours, or do you want to spend the night? Or are you open to spending the weekend together? So that every one of those conversations is nuanced and there isn't the expectation that mm. when we get together, how our connection is going to express is based off of the last time we got together. So sometimes the expression is more romantic. Sometimes it's sitting on the couch and cuddling and, and kissing and talking about what kind of movie or show we want to watch. And it has that kind of romantic relationship feel. In explaining this to my kids in introductory conversations with them around what I'm practicing and what it looks like, I am using words like, so this might feel like friends with benefits. Mm. 
This might sound like a situationship. It might look like dating. It's all of these things and also none of them. Mm. All of these choices are on the menu or on the table in any moment of our interactions and expression and connection. And I don't feel pressure from myself, which is something I'm questioning because I, so if, if they and I were sexually intimate last weekend, I have this pressure within me that says, oh, we have to be sexually intimate this weekend, that that's the expectation and the escalating progression. And I get to ask myself, well, do I want to have sex? Do I want to be sexually intimate? And it doesn't have to have anything to do with the other person. And it also has something to do with the other person. Mm -hmm. It's a both and. So every moment of the connection and every of our connection, I don't mean to make it sound so distant, every moment of our connection and our expression is me checking in with myself as to what I feel open and wanting to do is me checking in with them and us co-creating daily what that what feels best what feels good to us today how does that want to express it's very consensual it's checking in with consent with ourselves and consent with the other person but also checking in with kind of the cultural consent of expectation that is an incredible explanation of relationship anarchy thank you for taking us there and it sounds you know there's there's a Apart, I, I listen to you talk about it and I can sense the freedom and the attention to yourself, which is really beautiful because many times I will say I, you know, am a, I guess, recovering people pleaser. I look at it as I'm an empath and I really just want everyone to be happy around me. And what you're saying with this, with relationship anarchy is that you're checking in with yourself constantly. You're putting yourself as a priority, which I think will make any relationship structure stronger when we're really clear with what we want. And then the next step is to communicate it and also listen to what your partner wants. And so it sounds to me like, now tell me if this is true or not, but that every time you get together with this other person, that there's a moment where you come together it seems like there would need to be some kind of communication like every time you got together of where are you at? Where am I at? And then let's go on with our date, our moment, our hour together. Is that how it works for you? Yes and no. Like it's still new. And so mm -hmm. I'm still doing a lot of my work around relationship anarchy. For example, I shared with them like, I don't want to fear that if you and I are going out alone, that it's a date. Mm. When I think about it in that way, there are expectations that the date is going to be romantic, that it's going to be kissing, that there's going to be sex afterwards. And I'm like, that's a lot of a relationship escalator just in the word date. Mm. So having the conversation and sharing, hey, this is the pressure I'm feeling within myself. And I... I want to have the freedom for when we go out for it to be whatever it's going to be. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes. Okay. And I want to make it clear too that it's not so it's not so black and white with 
I don't want to have sex today, so we're not having sex today. Like mm. it is about me checking in with I'm not feeling super sexy today. Like pleasure does not is not my priority. It doesn't feel very accessible. And maybe I share that with this person, staying open to the possibility of responsive desire. So in my work around sex and intimacy, there's spontaneous desire, like a light switch, either we're feeling sexy or we're not. Mm-hmm. But responsive desire is us responding to sexual stimulus. So we have, if we have a partner or a person that's at the end of the bed and we're reading, but we look up and they're taking off their clothes and we're like, oh, well, now I'm feeling a little sexy. There's the freedom for things to change, to shift. And so more often it's about knowing where I am in the moment as a starting place and not pushing myself to be somewhere else as an expectation on the relationship escalator or on monogamy or anything else of Mm. that. That's really beautiful. I'm wondering if you would share what you, in your experience with relationship anarchy, what you absolutely love about it, what like really feels great to you. And then also what has been a challenge for you? Yes. What's been a challenge for me is or or not what has been a challenge but what i come up against mm-hmm. is wondering about depth mm-hmm. so if i'm practicing relationship anarchy how often like how deep can it go and this is n- not just relationship anarchy this is like n- non-traditional consensual non-monogamy i'm a person who loves a depth of connection mm-hmm. and monogamy offers that in that There's a singular romantic sexual focus. And that doesn't mean that I haven't or don't have multiple deep romantic and sexual connections with other people. That's about time management and communication, right? So that's one of the things that comes up along with trying to find the words. And polyamory is great about coming up with new words. Yeah whether it's compersion or metamor, so many beautiful words to begin to get at the nuance. You know, so I describe this person as a connection. I don't know if I, there's not a connector word to describe them. They're not my partner. They're not my friend. Like they're all of these things simultaneously, but not exclusively. So language is another thing that I struggle with in communicating to myself to this person and to other people around us because I don't want to, I'm trying really hard not to misrepresent it. And then what I love about it is, like you said, the freedom, is the lack of expectation and the constant questioning of what's happening within me that the other person is not projecting onto Mm. me. I'm projecting it, you know, I'm projecting something onto them and then being able to ask them, hey, is, is this is this what's happening here? And they're like, no, this is not what's happening. And I'm like, OK, this is all me. This is all heteronormativity. This is all misogyny. This is all monogamy. This is all relationship escalator. And so I really need to look at this and dismantle this if I want it to be an authentic and real connection from me to this person and with this person. Mm. 
That's beautiful. I That is what you put beautiful words into what I love about non-traditional relationships is the questioning and the breaking down of what is that thought from? And it is sometimes really sneaky, becoming really sneaky. And you're like, oh, wow, that I really want to look at that. I didn't even realize that I had that understanding or belief and that I was just defaulting to it. And I take joy in that kind of questioning. Daniela, this has been such a great conversation. I would love for you to let people know how they can get in touch with you if they're wanting to connect with you for coaching, because I can feel from you that you are so accepting and caring when people come to you and they say, I've got these things I've felt so ashamed about and that you have such an accepting, calm, loving nature to you. So how would someone connect with you if they wanted to investigate working with you? Oh, thank you. And investigate working with themselves, right? Yeah. It's it's support and guidance around around them asking themselves questions and and co-creating and creating a life that works for them. So your audience can go to daniellastevens.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm. And I've put together some some wonderful practices and gifts. So whether you're wanting to explore your own sense of self with regards to relationships, sex and love, there are two gifts, whether you want to go gentle or you want to go deep. And then if your partner is open to it and exploring some of this with you, you too can also choose something that's gentle or something that's deep. You can do it with multiple partners, but that's a great way to get another taste of the kind of work I offer. We can also move into free 15-minute phone consultations to see if we're a good fit for working together. Beautiful. I will link all of that in the show notes. And I really encourage you, if you're struggling with these questions of feeling stuck and in a box and wanting to just maybe push the walls a little bit and explore, please reach out to Daniela. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Relationship Diversity Podcast. Want to learn more about relationship diversity? I've got a free guide I'd love to send you. Go to www.relationshipdiversitypodcast.com to get yours sent right to you. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. You being here and participating in the conversation about relationship diversity is what helps us create a space of inclusivity and acceptance together. The more comfortable and normal it is to acknowledge the vast and varied relating we all do, the faster we'll shift to a paradigm of conscious, intentional, and diverse relationships. New episodes are released every Thursday. Stay connected with me through my website, carriejarislow.com, Instagram, or TikTok. Stay curious. Every relationship is as unique as you are. wondering why you never seem to find lasting fulfillment in your relationships? Or do you create the same kinds of relationship experiences over and over again? Can you never seem to find even one person who you want to explore a relationship with? Have you just given up hope altogether? 
If this sounds like you, my recent book, Why Do They Always Break Up With Me, is the perfect place to start. The foundation of any relationship, whether intimate or not, is the relationship we have with ourselves. In the book, I lead you through eight clear steps to start or continue your self-exploration journey. You'll learn about the importance of self-acceptance, gratitude, belief shifting, and forgiveness, and given exercises to experience these life-changing concepts. This is the process I use to shift my relationships from continual heartbreak to what they are now, fulfilling, soul-nourishing, compassionate, and loving. It is possible for you. This book can set you on a path to get there. Currently available through Amazon or through the link in the show notes.